Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another edition of the Troy Stories Podcast. Got a good show for you this week. Eric McKinney of WeRSC.com is our guest. Before we get to that, I want to let you know we actually recorded this episode just prior to finding out a few more of the injury updates from the Arizona game. I feel like the laundry list of key players that are currently down this week and will be for multiple weeks creates a bit of a different context for a conversation. If you haven't heard, Drake Jackson does indeed have a high ankle sprain. Talano, who Funga has a dislocated shoulder. Marquis Skep tore a ligament in his ankle. Stephen Carr has a hamstring strain. He should come back the soonest, but the others are all going to be out for more than a game, which of course would include Oregon. Palaie, Naoteote, and Babai Malapei are already out, and they'll be missing those games as well. That's three of your top eight players and six of your top 20. Whatever the percentage was of USC winning out and Clay Helton saving his job, it would seem to have shrunk to single digits. Very, very unfortunate turn of events for the Trojans at a critical juncture of the season, at least in terms of the Pac-12 race. So with that, let's start the show. Hello and welcome back to the Troy Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Aya, and I am joined by a recurring guest now. <laughs> a recurring guest. Recurring might be a little bit strong. He, he gave me a look. Uh, Eric McKinney of WeRSC.com. Eric, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Hopefully everyone heard you there because there are people around us. We're recording. Always. Yeah. Well, we're recording outside. We're on campus. Uh, we're in the uh, in between periods at practice. There's a viewing period at the very beginning where they stretch really hard, and we're uh, able to watch that. And then we leave, and we come back when they're done. And I mean, Grant Harold's running around. What's going on when we get back in there? Yeah, guys are leaving. I feel like you're, you know, it's showing up late for, a, for at a birthday party. You know, like the cake's been eaten, presents yeah. are open, everyone's sort of mingling and getting ready to go, and then you get to go to work. We're, we're in that hour right now. It's Monday, late afternoon, and uh, we can talk a little bit about Arizona, about that game, maybe a little bit of Colorado, uh, and of course the big picture, because that's what we really care about right sure. now with sure. USC. What... What, what are you going to remember about Arizona, about that game? You know, in the long run, nothing. But I think right <laughs> now, I think right now, I what it is, is this felt like a game. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that Clay Helton is Pete Carroll, but it felt like a game during those years where Arizona is not a great team. They come into the Coliseum and USC rolls them the, the way that a good USC team should sort of treat a team like Arizona. And it's, I mean, do you remember, you know, the, the USC wins over kind of any sort of generic Pac-12 team, you know, five, six years ago? Rarely. I, I think from for this game specifically, obviously you, you get a look at Keenan Kristen, and yeah. I think that's going to be a, a recurring thing over the next few seasons where it – kind of want to say, you know, we'll see if he can keep it going, but there there's some players that bring a specific element 
that just has a way of showing up no matter what the defense is doing and no matter what the offense is doing. And that speed from Keenan Christian, he, he's going to be able to hit holes like that and, and make those plays. And I think that was a good uh, a good sight to see. But overall, again, like I said, just it, it's the kind of game that, that USC needed to have after Notre Dame. And it was, I think it was impressive the way they bounced back from that Notre Dame game. There, there wasn't really a lot of hangover, and they – they dominated that Arizona offense for, for three quarters well yep. into the fourth quarter. No, good point. It never felt like Arizona could win. Right. Which, coming into the game, I thought that we might get like a shootout and it might be pretty competitive. Yeah. I mean, it a top, really top 10 total, you know, total yards offense from, from Arizona. Yeah. They could move the ball this year. Yeah. Now, they, they felt fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And I think we suspected that they were probably, they weren't as good as they were on paper. But uh, Khalil Tate has had some monster performances versus USC. Uh, even when he like started slow, he right. would come back. Right. He actually got benched in this game. Yeah. And he was facing what amounted to primarily the second team defense for USC. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is very interesting because naturally we can't help but think, why weren't a lot of these guys playing more earlier? And I think it's a... I think all of those questions, why is this guy playing over this guy? It's all 100% confidence that in that the coaching staff has in that starter. I think, I think that's what it comes down to. I don't think a lot of it has to do with talent because when you say, you know, we're going to play the most talented guys, when it comes down to it, you, you're going to play the guy that you believe is not going to fumble, that you believe is not going to, you know, pick the wrong hole and, and uh, you know, to fill and, and give up a big play. You're going to play who you trust. Yes. And, and I think that's what it comes down to. I, I think the guys behind the starters are very talented. You, you talk about USC. They, if they went out and recruited 25 random guys, they would still be ta- you know, talented players, the guys that end up at USC. But I think it's that the, coach, the coaches trust them. And yes, a lot of times it's the older guy who's been in the system for a long time. And, and or the older walk-on. Doing, the older walk- well, not anymore. Or the older former walk-on. Right. So I, I think that's what it comes down to. I think you've got guys that can play. And, and I think give, putting them in in sort of spot situations yeah. lets their sort of better abilities be highlighted. Do those guys... Sure, good point. Do those guys put out that effort and, and that production and those numbers if they've started seven games this year and yeah. teams have been able to scout them and, and work on their weaknesses and, and that yeah. sort of thing. I don't know. But there, there's a lot of talent from the guys that did play. Well, let's talk about Keenan then because there's a guy who I think it's indefensible that he didn't have a spot role earlier in the year. I'm not saying he should have started, and, and I don't think even had he been playing from game one that he would have had you know 20 carries in this game, uh, aside from injury, if everybody was just available. It would have been a role, though, and I think that uh, he brings something to the table that nobody on really the roster brings to the table, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. you've been watching USC football as long as I have. I think I told you in the press box, I think he's probably the fastest since Cole Kim McCullough. Sure, sure. And I, if, if he's not faster than him. I yeah. mean, it's because 
Because that's one of the you could see it right away with him. I, honestly, to me, the more impressive, the most impressive run was just that first one where he gets yeah. seven yards. But the way he the way he attacks the line of scrimmage, he shot in the cannon, he, he, right? And he's and he's not he's not dancing. You can tell he has a running back mentality and a running back's vision for how to use his speed. There's so mm-hmm. many track guys. Yeah, he's a track. He can run this fast. Okay, so you have to get him the ball as he's running straight ahead with nobody around him, and yeah, he can run past everybody, but Keenan, you, you can see on some of those runs, he knows how to create angles that are advantageous to him, and then when nothing's there, he'll put his head down and, yeah. and go ahead and try to pick up whatever yards he yeah. can. And like I said, to me, that makes that gives you a sense that he is a complete back and that he can do things. But you talk about guys who can do things that others can't. I mean, Marquis Step was all right. You know, we already saw <laughs> right. that yeah. you know, a lot this year and even last year, too, yeah. where it's just I still think and I've said this kind of from the beginning, if you took a poll of Pac-12 defenders, who's the running back you'd least like to see yeah. in the opposing backfield? I I think Marquis Step gets a gets a whole lot of votes. Yeah, and Keenan would too. And, and I think now he's going to start getting some of those too. And right. Again, I, you, you can't deny that the coaches trust a, a guy like Vivai and a, and a guy like Stephen Carr to do everything that they're going to ask. But like you said, it's also a little bit of coaching where let's come up with something where we can yeah. highlight what other guys can do, even if it's you know kind of kind of. You know, not spot starts, but just yeah. uh, instances during a game where you can take advantage of it. Well, I look at the three losses, and it, it's not just the fact that they lost, but it's actually the way that they were defended in each one. I mean, offensively, you didn't need Keenan in, in the Stanford game, sure. even the Utah game. Uh, I mean, really, even Arizona, they didn't need him. He kind of finished off the deal, and it, it worked out really well. But they were already up, what, 27 nothing, I believe. Sure. But uh, Fresno State would have been a good opportunity to get a lot of people playing time. Mm-hmm. That was one thing that I thought other coaches had done a good job with. I mean, even Skark, I remember right away when he took over in 2014, and they had the big blowout versus Fresno State, a very comparable situation, too, and uh, and got everyone involved and even threw a touchdown to Adore, uh, USC, uh, Cody Kessler. But I feel like if King would have been involved – in a game like BYU where they really kind of stifled USC downfield action. And we've already seen the receiving core not really have that that deep threat. They don't use Bayless that way. Mm -hmm. He'd be the one guy that has that kind of speed. Mm -hmm. But I understand why they're not really looking for him in that regard. I I know other people might be confused about it, but he's just been very unreliable as a receiver, unfortunately. Good returner, but uh, not someone that they've been able to depend on downfield in the the way that you want to use him. But... uh, they, they don't have a lot of they don't have as much team speed as you expect from what is usually assumed to be the most athletic team in the Pac-12. Right. Well, Keenan transcends USC speed and athleticism. We're talking about maybe the fastest player in California, sure. and I just feel like he probably could have opened things up and stretched the defense and stressed it mm-hmm. in a game like BYU, Washington, Notre Dame. Each of those games was begging for someone to kind of draw attention away from the passing game. Right. And just to do something to give the defense something else to think about or, or consider. I mean, he, you know, you, you heard Graham Harrell after the BYU game, oh, they did the same thing the entire game. They, not, they never changed their look. They didn't have to do anything else. I, 
how do you go 60 minutes and not force them when you're not scoring? You know, if, if you're right, if you're putting up 45, 50 points yeah. and they're not doing anything, well, then who cares? Right. But if you're, you know, throwing interceptions and you can't seem to get anything really going, you've got someone there now that, that you've seen yeah. who can do that. Again, I think it just goes goes back to trust. I don't know if they, at that time, believed that if they put Keenan in, Keenan Kristen in, that he would do 100% of everything, you know, that they would ask him to well, do. And, and he doesn't need to, though. Sure. Right? And that, like, that's what I said. That, you know, Marquise can't do everything yet. Really, no one does everything, though. Right. Because Vi and Carr don't do things that Marquise and sure. Keenan do. So, and, but you're, I mean, I'm not trying to debate you because right. I know that you're kind of giving their position. Yeah. But, uh, but, but they, I mean, they treat it, they overvalue, I think, the, the parts of, of the position that are really less important. Right. They, not that they don't matter, but they just aren't as important as game-breaking speed. Because getting power running and getting actual experience, right, is gonna is gonna sort of be yeah. the biggest thing. To catch twenty-two. Once somebody they can't get it, it, you don't play them. Right. And, and I think there is a spot. Like there's a spot for for a lefty reliever out of the bullpen, right? Like yeah. you're not gonna ask that guy to start and throw you six innings. Right. But it does something to help your team. You can find, like we said, you just you can find different spots where yeah. that can work for somebody like that coming yeah. off the bench and just changing something. I mean, it does just a, just a pitch outside to him. It stresses the defense in a way that no other play that USC has can can stress a defense. Yeah. Well, had Quincy Junkie not fumbled, would Keenan have played? I, I don't know. And. To be fair, we, we all figured if Quincy Jaunty had gone in and they had had to call on him, he would have been fine. Yeah. That, that's if, if anything coming out of this game. You have all the injuries, obviously, that are bad. But I, I felt so bad for him that his first right. his first carry is a fumble because that's not him. He's, he's no, good. He's reliable. He's legitimate. He's a player, yes. But he's their fifth best running back. Right. And then and Keenan... Uh, I don't know where to rank him, but the fact is, like, he can give you something that no one else can. Right. Not just at running back, but really on the team. Right. I, I mean, I thought that they'd use him as a returner, maybe, sure. from day one. Sure. Or get him prepped there. Yeah. I, I realize that he doesn't have a lot of experience as a receiver, but that's why he's here. That's why you got him and, and you coach him. And there's, there's clearly now an emphasis on players looking at the transfer portal. I mean, it, it's gotten to the point yeah. now where you can't play around with it. You're, you're almost guaranteed to not have guys five years anymore. And yeah. if they don't play early, you've seen more and more guys. I mean, th- this this year at this time of the season, guys are jumping in the transfer portal because they haven't played in six games in seven games. I yeah. mean, it's not you can't you can't coach afraid of that happening, right? You have to be able to build a program yeah. and have guys buy in and stick around and and all that, but. It, it, it sure is getting to the point where you need, you really do need to play guys as true freshmen to make sure that they know that they are a part of the program and that you've bought into them. It's a balance, and it's a balancing act, and you have a lot of people on your roster, but when we're talking about areas in which they're not elite as a position group, mm-hmm. then I don't know how you defend your usage, right? Like, a running back... They've been just okay, right? And they've they've gotten good at times because of Marquise, mm-hmm. who I, I believe now still has the third most carries on the roster. Uh, I think Carr's still ahead of him, and 
he's been there most productive back. Right. And now Keenan went half the year without even playing, without even touching the field, yeah. and only played because three of them got hurt and the fourth one fumbled. And it, it's, it's tough. It puts Clay Helton in a situation where he, he clearly uh, defers to experience and, and defers to guys who have been around. And I understand that he knows what he's going to get from those guys, right? There, there aren't a lot of variables when you've seen a guy do it on the field and you know what to expect from him. And he's, he, it feels like he's uncomfortable just kind of turning over a position to a younger player. And, and again, I, I can understand that, but it seems like that's where you are at some of these spots where there are a ton of true freshmen that are, that are playing. Like that, that certainly should be said. USC is, I, I think, one of, you know, in the top 10, certainly in the country, in terms of true freshmen starting games this year. He's obviously comfortable with, with a guy like Chris Steele at corner. Drake Jackson kind of, you know, yeah. he, he sort of demanded to play. And, and they were very comfortable with Keaton Slovis. So I don't think you can say that he refuses to play true freshmen or refuses to play young guys because he has bought into that. But there are, it, it does feel like sometimes there is a hesitancy to go ahead and, and roll a an older guy, a senior, a, a junior, yeah. out of a role and give somebody else more, a, a younger guy, more of a role. And, yeah. and that's that's a balance that kind of every coach has to go through. Right. Everybody handles it, it differently. But I think they're overly committed to people with lower ceilings because they're veterans. I think we're, we're seeing that where players that have been in the program who have been maybe productive mildly or or more, but you have kids that are behind them who might be better, yeah. and, and maybe they're not better yet or they're, they're not near their ceiling, but yeah. they can do something. Like, on the other side of the ball, who had the best game? It was Kanai Malga. Sure. Who doesn't really play, kind of their special teams maven. Right. And uh, he does play a little bit, right? Like he played more than Keenan up until that game. But they could rotate at linebacker. Mm -hmm. I don't think their linebacker play is just so good that there's no room for Kanai. Right. And and that's sort of the thing is defensively especially – Clayton talks so much about explosive plays, being being good for them on offense, being bad, you know, obviously on defense. And again, that's where you can understand, okay, we know that this senior, this redshirt junior, this older guy, we know he's going to be at least close enough to the right spot where it's not going to open up this gaping hole and we're going to get hit for an 80-yard run. That's, that's we talked about the trust. Does a younger guy, does a guy without experience, does he make the right play every time? But going back to what you said, is anybody making the, making right. the right play yeah. at any time You know, for the first part of the season? And that's what struck out to me about the Arizona game is it felt like the first time all year that all 11 guys on defense were attacking to the right spot at, at the right time. You know, there, it didn't feel like there was a lot of reading and reacting, and I'm curious where that goes for the rest of the season. Was this something that just worked against Arizona or something that they just implemented against Arizona? Or yeah. can you get that at Colorado? Can you get it against Oregon? And, I'm inclined, and that's, that's what I want to see. I'm inclined to believe that they had Khalil Kate pegged 
They faced him now four times. Sure. They got him his first start as a sure. true freshman. Sure. And I feel like because they knew him probably better than anybody that they're going to deal with, that they were really comfortable. Right. Even though he would usually make people uncomfortable. Right. They they knew how to kind of keep him in the pocket and and play with his left hand, if you will. Sure. Uh, It'd be great to see it moving forward, but they, I mean, they, they were playing really fast. And, and it was odd because, again, they had multiple starters down. Like, I mean, I had a suspicion that Christian Rector, who had not practiced, but hasn't really been practicing because he's just kind of banged up and right. he's a veteran. And right. I, I figured that was just kind of the way it's going to be now. But we didn't know that he would be out in that game. Right. But even prior to that, I had told uh, the uh, Arizona beat writer, Michael Lev, former USC beat writer, that look for a lot of Hunter Eccles and that Sam linebacker spot utilizing this game. Right. He asked me for a starting lineup that he projects before every game, and I told him I'd probably kick out Rector. Again, didn't know that he would be out, but just figured that they might not go four down in right. that game. Right. Uh, so they, they ran something different. They didn't have Rector. They didn't have their usual starting cornerbacks at the beginning of the game, although Isaac Taylor Stewart sure. played the majority of it. They didn't have their nickel. They didn't have EA. Right. That, half their defense was not there, and, and it ended up being their best defensive performance right. in some time. Right. And I, what I'm curious about is USC defense, USC offense, If and, and maybe this is just me making this up right now, but it feels Make it up. like, it feels like <laughs> the USC defense – maybe even like changes too much week to week depending on the opponent right like there there's almost too much scheme to where let's just find something that they do at. really well okay. and do that whereas the USC offense it almost, it, it almost feels like they don't even know who they're lining up against. They're just right. going to do whatever yeah. they do. And when something doesn't work, it kind of takes a while, yeah. you know, to, right. to figure it out. So it's like, is there, You're right. is there sort of a happy medium between those two where you give a little bit of thought to what the other team is doing, but really you, you find what you do well yeah. and you have enough talent on the field and in the, the coaching booth and, and on the sideline to where it, it ends up not mattering a whole lot what the other team does because you know who you are and you're doing what you do right. you know, really well on, on both sides of the ball. And it just feels like there haven't been a lot of times this year where offense and defense have meshed playing at a really high level at the same time no. for long periods. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have a hunch that if they played Utah again, which they won't, but if they were to play them again, I think Utah would probably win by 10. Uh, let's stay on a neutral field. And assuming that Zach Moss doesn't go down in the game. Right. I feel like they beat them. I think that because of the injury to, to Keaton and Fink coming in, there was a major element of surprise. Mm -hmm. And even though the offense doesn't really change, those two quarterbacks are pretty different, and the way that they play it, I think, is different enough right. that it probably threw Utah off from what they had prepared for with Keaton. Because Fink was going downfield repeatedly yeah. and, and throwing up YOLO passes, and, and it worked out. 
Uh, I don't think it was sustainable, honestly. But I also feel like, again, if, if Keenan had played, even though I think Keenan is vastly superior, mm-hmm. I think that that game would, would have played out differently. And it kind of worked to USC's benefit for the way everything turned out in a weird way. I'd be, I would be interested because I think Keenan is good. I mean, you see what Utah against Arizona State, what, the, what they do against quarterbacks who can't throw, you know, can't make every throw. Yeah. They can shut it down. Well, I mean, they shut down Wazoo, though, right after USC, which is true. a similar offense. Sure, sure. Uh, but Wazoo probably looked more like what they planned for from right. USC, right. where Fink put a whole different wrinkle on the whole, and the whole we, game. And we've certainly heard from USC coaches this year that when people put stuff on tape that they don't show, it does take a while to, to it, get kind it, of It took them an entire half versus Arizona. Right. Which is a terrible defense. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... Sometimes it's just you got to beat the team that you're lined up across from. And yeah. If you get a, you know, Stanford, USC, they always play early in the season. Right. It's almost never, you know, what what ends up happening with yeah. whoever wins and loses that game yeah, is yeah. almost never what you expect, you know, at the beginning. So getting Utah when they did ends up, you know, maybe being a positive with kind of how everything broke. And now you look how the season's going to end in this finishing run, and that's a huge game that they have. That, that USC has already under its belt where you talk yeah, about right. if there's a if there's a tiebreaker scenario, you have it against Utah, which well, is pretty important. They can lose to Oregon if Utah loses to Washington. That's what right. it means. Right. Which uh, both are very possible. I mean, mm-hmm. Washington is hard to peg right now. Right. Uh, kind of like USC in a way uh, sure. of the North. And, and USC, I'm, I'm not betting on them beating Oregon. It'll be tough. That that I mean, clearly the toughest game left, even though it's at home. But uh, that Oregon sure. team is they they kind of figured themselves out after yeah. Auburn and the you know letting Washington get ahead the way they did is not super impressive. But being able to come back and, and yeah. do that at Washington is is a really impressive win. Well, and USC's faced a few, I would say, good quarterbacks, good college quarterbacks. They haven't faced uh, Justin Herbert. Sure. And I've been kind of waiting for that secondary, which I think has been really nice, yeah. very encouraging, playing better than I would have expected. If anything, maybe they, I think they could play like that in November. But they really, throughout the year, have been pretty consistent. Yes. And uh, and so it would be a good challenge for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not counting them out. I just feel like that's an NFL quarterback who he might pick them apart a bit. And, and, and there's no shame in that. But it might it might become and And they have the best combination sort of run game, passing game. I mean, Notre, yeah. Notre Dame, you certainly went in, you know, let's, let's make Ian Book throw. And every everyone they've played so far, you you knew which part of the offense that you wanted to take away. With right. Oregon, it's sort of, you know, I get, you, your you, you always have to start trying to take away the run game, but that's a quarterback that, that's, yeah. I mean, scarier than, than Jacob Eason. At, at oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In yeah. terms of being able to throw the ball. Oh, yeah. Who are maybe a couple players, maybe young players, that you're excited about right now, and or, or maybe you feel like could make some noise if they had a, a more prominent role? There are a handful that we haven't really even seen a lot of yet, but you and I might be more familiar with our, our time around the program. Yeah, I that that nickel spot for me is really interesting. I think that's a spot where Greg Johnson, you. I think you see what he can do, and I think he's. I think he's fine. I think Max Williams has a chance to be really special. I mean, it's you see some Nikel Roby who, at his size, yeah. hanging around the NFL and and being as productive as he's been. 
I think Max Williams has a lot of that. I, I, I think he... He, he plays like an older guy. He has understood what this defense was from the second that he stepped on campus. I mean, yeah. he, he's a guy where without that knee injury, if he's healthy the first game of the season, I, I think maybe he's the starter yeah. right now. Well, they moved Gray. They moved him off right. outside because they didn't like what they were getting from Chase. Right. So you make a good point. It could have been Max if he was healthy. Right. And, and I, I, I wouldn't rule that out eventually him, yeah. him going in there. And then the guy... The guy behind him, I think, Kalana, of all of the, you know, the the true freshmen in the defensive backfield, they signed so many of them. <laughs> you knew that guys were going to have to play. Chris Steele was a given that he was going to get a ton of time yeah. at, at corner, but but Kalana there, corner safety nickel, you know, he's yeah. one of those guys with with sort of his frame. He's real lanky. You didn't know how quickly he could make an impact, but he ha- he seems to have that sort of football IQ too. Uh-huh. And I, I think I think he has a chance to be really good. I mean it's not I know it's not fun to pick sort of two guys that are playing, you know, the, the same the same spot right no? now. But I, I think when you look at that recruiting class the 2019 recruiting class that it's just, not an abomination that just got hammered right when yeah. they signed it and yes Chris Steele gets added to that late Brew McCoy gets added to that late so it looks a little bit different but you're talking about not seeing anything from Kyle Ford yet who maybe yeah. was the best player you know the, the best right, overall right. player uh, in the class certainly one of them again yeah well if, prior if to those, those McCoy, other two signing I think he was the highest rated. right right and, and so if you're talking about guys that you you know Ethan Ray was really thought of really highly yeah he thank you been able to do anything yet you wolf you haven't seen a lot of so there's guys uh in here that you haven't seen anything from right but the true freshmen that you have seen i think it's enough already to sort of say that they they got a lot out of that class where yeah. it becomes where it becomes an issue is did you get enough on either line and really that's been a question every year when it when it comes to after in 2017, you hit a home run on both sides. Yeah. After that, uh, 2018, 2019, and now looking at 2020, are you getting enough? Are you getting enough right. uh, infusion? Great question. We won't know for a while. Talent. Sure. Yeah. I, I felt like it was even maybe slightly under-recruited at times, mm-hmm. and uh, we won't know. You don't want to be playing freshman if you can avoid it. Right. Occasionally, you have that really good one. Mm-hmm. They haven't really had that guy in a while on the offensive line. Drake, obviously, defensive line. He's, I think he's been their best defensive player. I know a lot of people kind of default answer with Talanoa. Uh, you can't go wrong with either one. Sure. But I think Drake is actually. I think I think Drake better. affects opposing offenses yeah. more. I think I think when there you're talking more about, impactful. Right. Who do we need? Who's Maybe Talanoa's a better player right now. Sure. I who's the first guy we need to take care of? Yeah. I, my guess is that Drake. Yeah, Tufele, Tupelotu, Drake. I, I bet right. they all get sort of brought up. Sure. Right? But I think protecting the quarterback from Drake is probably at the top of a lot of teams' lists. Right. And, and both of which are, are injured right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have an official word yet. Uh, we'll have that reported soon. Um, what I've heard about Drake is that he appeared to have a high ankle sprain, which some of these kids are coming back a lot earlier than they used to. Like a high ankle used to mean at least a month, and now it's like maybe two weeks. Mm-hmm. But you know, I couldn't, I couldn't give you a real timetable on that. Right. But nothing significant, I don't think. Like it looked like on a field, like it might have been a knee injury and mm-hmm. non-contact. Like what happened there? Right. But, Always scary. Right. Uh, if it's an ankle, then that's much better. And then with Talanoa, it didn't look good. Uh, what I was told was that. Uh, 
they're hoping it was a dislocation. And if it were that, then obviously much better than a break. Right. And uh, he could be out in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. It's all with Talanoa, though, the, the shoulder area is, again, right. because of the two broken collarbones. Yeah. Always... And in the same one. Right. Same side. Not good. Not good. Uh, he's doing this time, uh, inevitably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that'll be the challenge against Colorado, right? I mean, it's a, Colorado as a team does not does not scare you but the fact that it's a friday night away game in the pac-12 which pac-12 teams do not win friday night away games the temperature and then you're you're probably not going to get i mean you're you're definitely not going to get a majority of the guys who yeah you lost against arizona right not going to get those guys back so it's going to be at a lot of spots backups having to to step up again a couple guys that i wanted to highlight Dorian Hewitt, I know he didn't play a lot, but because he was playing early, I kind of kept my eye on him. And he ended up coming back late in the game, too, and I followed him again. And I really liked the way he played. I liked the way he covered. And that's not really his forte yet. I mean, he'll have a lot of room to grow. Uh, He came in as a safety, uh, had not played corner since he was a freshman in high school. And they moved him to nickel because they thought they needed him there. And then they ended up moving him outside because they needed him there. And ordinarily, when people get moved like that that quickly, I'm very suspicious. But because I think this roster right now is so young and every. They have to be malleable, really. I mean, we've seen a lot of defensive backs move around, mm-hmm. not because I think they're inadequate or they don't have a home, but because I think USC is a little bit desperate right now in that defensive backfield. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't write them off for that, whereas, again, with other people in the past when they've had you know, more depth and experience than this, this is abnormal, really. Right. Uh, even when they're in, under sanctions, they had veterans. Mm-hmm. But like right now, I mean, the oldest guys are like redshirt sophomores, basically, the ones that are in the rotation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are freshmen and, and true sophomores. With all that said, uh, I think Hewitt is someone to pay attention to. I don't know what happens, you know, when these cornerbacks come back, then what do they do with him? Mm-hmm. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. But he looked like someone that was very comfortable, very fluid. He's a fast guy. That's what they liked about him on tape when they recruited him. Good-looking athlete. Uh, Another one that I've liked all along, who unfortunately will have to report the fact that Manir McLean towards ACL, that was someone I thought should have gotten on the field. right? And he ended up playing at the very end of the game, catching a pass, carries the ACL. He has some speed, a little bit more than they, than they have from their outside guys. I mean, really, Devin Williams is the one that I think had the, the downfield speed, and we know how that, how that shook out. Right. But Manir McLean was another one I was looking forward to watching. He'll be out for a year now. I'm interested to see what they do at the wide receiver spot with, with him. Uh, I mean, you've got, you know, John Jackson has has played John Jackson the third has played still not a catch this season which I think is one of the you know you've had maybe a couple chances in the Coliseum to you know get him a catch it would it would have yeah. been nice if, if they could figure that out but it, well, I mean they can barely get among Rusty Brown the ball there's that but uh, I'm curious to see what they do with Manir out like he had been outside I'm curious if there's more uh, ability to, to sort of move guys in the slot and move them out and and to be more creative 
with some of those starters because again it does feel like teams can just sort of say no we're taking Michael Pittman out of the game and and USC hasn't found for me enough ways to make sure that those guys get their touches in a way that uh threatens the defense right. you know if it's if it's just a quick pass to him at the line of scrimmage and he can take it four or five yards I, I appreciate that he's getting that touch because yes there's always the chance that he breaks something and he, and he goes but again when you talk about the wide receivers the the depth that was added with those true freshmen and the numbers that they could roll through and it just right. it doesn't feel like anyone is um Kind of putting that either that dominant year together or just as a group of wide receivers that they're, uh, I, you know, I don't want to say playing to their potential because they've all done well individually, but I don't know if it's uh, when Alabama lines up against somebody, certainly they're saying these wide receivers can, can absolutely beat us. And certainly defenses are scheming that way, but I think they're having success in when they're, when they're trying to do that. Yeah, I, I felt like defense has gotten a little bit comfortable, mm-hmm. right? And then we, we saw, I thought Keaton had maybe his hardest time, right? I know people point to BYU with the picks, and I think he was smart about, you know, not forcing passes. I think there might have been, I remember one, did have one that could have yeah, been picked off. up to Alvin Raw and okay. double, double coverage. Yeah, right. but uh, definitely progress from earlier in the year, mm-hmm. and yet he was puzzled much more than I could think of any other moment in, you know, he's played, I think, what, four games, not four full games. And, and he did not look comfortable. And uh, I think a part of that is kind of what you mentioned earlier is that they don't really change what they do much. And they kind of throw Pittman out on one side and Vaughn's on the other. And, and while those are both good players, I think defenses are able to just kind of like contain that, right? I mean, you're not going to take it away, but every game you'll see one of them get pretty much shut down. This game was on Raw, really wasn't involved. And it, that's been the case with him a few times now, but then Pittman had a couple games the previous two where he didn't do very much. Right. And, and Vaughn's maybe has been the steadiest, but hasn't really, like, I think he had maybe one big game, but for the most part it's been kind of like a, a five-catch 70-yard right. guy every right. week. Which is fine. I, if he's your number three, that's really good. Mm-hmm. But not being able to kind of get more out of Amon Ra and Pittman is, mm-hmm. I think, a concern. I mean, it did that the throw to Vaughn's where he caught it and was able to put the, the yards after yeah. catch together. Yeah. There have been so few of those. Guys coming like across the, the field or something where, yeah, it's it's a, a quick pass, a hit, and then he's gone. If you look at kind of North Texas tape with Graham Harrell there, it seemed to happen a lot. You know, guys coming across the field or, or being able to catch the ball yeah. in space and then go. And it does feel like that's that has not been the case this year. And, and Yes, the other team has coaches too. They have defensive players. They have watched film, and, and they're putting this together. So then it becomes, okay, if that's not happening, do you have the run game to just take a game over? We haven't seen that in, you know, again, consistently enough. And now you're 4-3 and three this season. Well, maybe you use Bayless as a decoy, right? Have him run some go routes. Sure. Every... I don't know, every possession, have, have him run one, bring right. him in. Yeah. Right. I mean, he'll command attention. And obviously, if it's one-on-one or if he gets open, you can throw it to him, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Keaton has the arm to get it to him. Right. 
I mean, at this point, it, this, right? This is this is what they are. This is this is what they're going to be. This is what the offense looks like. Graham Harrell was not shy about that early on, where he's you know this this is what it is. There's not a whole lot to it in terms of uh, you know changing throughout the year or adding stuff in. I mean, it gets it gets implemented in three practices, and this is what we run, and we want to run it really well. And this is you know you have a quarterback who's still extremely young sure. in the system and still doesn't have a ton of experience no. you know at, at this level you talk about he, he only played half the Fresno State game two snaps of the Utah game yeah. nothing in the Washington game I mean you're, you're still talking about a guy who has only played in, in a small handful of games right. uh, as a college quarterback yeah and done well by the way I yeah mean, he's it's at the point where he is you know one of the least of your worries anytime that that SC goes into a game yeah, I don't know if people realize it. I, I believe now he's sixth in the country in completion percentage. He was number two, mm-hmm. but there's, there's a few of them that are bunched up and they kind of all, you know, over, you know they, they go back and forth. But he's been very accurate, uh, hasn't thrown a pick in the last two games. I mean, I thought the way he played in the second half versus Notre Dame was about as good as he played versus Stanford for the majority of that game. Mm-hmm. Really good player. Very promising. Uh, I look at what happened versus Arizona, and that to me isn't really a concern with him as much as it is the offense and what they're doing. Yeah, I, I think, and Clay Elton talks about that. His ability to not force things. We had the one. He had the one throw sure. that we mentioned, but it feels like when when he threw those interceptions against BYU, and then talked about, you know, I need to learn from that. And Graham Harrell said the same thing. I learned from that. It does not feel like he has made that mistake since then. And yeah. That's absolutely something that you need from a young quarterback. I thought there were a couple times where he could have probably hit the running back in yeah. the flat. Quicker. It, yeah, and it wasn't necessarily even a check down. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just more that he was there, and maybe he hasn't really kind of trained himself to look for that, right? Uh, I can appreciate the fact that he's not trying to, like, throw everything 30 yards downfield. Right. But he is looking downfield. Which is what you want, mm-hmm. but I think moving a little bit quicker and, and getting to that running back because in reality they don't throw to the running backs very much and they almost never throw to the tight ends. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one of those people that just says that you have to throw to the tight end continuously right, if you don't have that. Yeah, not if you don't have that receiver there. And I, they haven't really. I mean, Follow has been injured and and hasn't really been reliable either when right. he's been out there. Right. Uh, with Chrome and Hulk, you're getting a different skill set. I thought maybe we could see a little bit of G-Wolf. It hasn't really materialized. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what the solution is there, but because you're, you're not throwing to them, again, I think opposing defenses have kind of caught on to like what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And really the only guy that you're ever hitting on the move, it seems like, is Amon Ra. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're, they're, they're limiting that. And then they're covering, you know, the boundary. And they're kind of living with the, the too high coverage on, on your big receivers. Mm-hmm. They got to figure that out. because. Right. If, and I think quicker, right? You can't, yeah. You can't have first quarters anymore that are just complete throwaways on offense. Like that, that's going to tax your defense and it's going to get you into a position where even against Notre Dame, as well as you play in the second half, you're on offense, your defense is not going to pitch a shutout and let you come all the way, you know, back in. Notre Dame had, you know, the, the one productive drive 
uh, late in the second half that won the game for them. Right. Um, and and really, USC offensively couldn't take advantage of the strong defensive start, and they, they jump in that hole. Yeah. And, and they can't get out of it. So it's, it feels like too many times where – you know, coaches are saying, "Boy, they did stuff that we didn't every see week on film." And it's yeah. you know, okay, and back well, to football, right, right, right. It might be a little bit extreme. I do think it's a real thing in terms of people getting up for USC sure. and kind of having special plans. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that to an extent, but they're they're not new, right? <laughs> They're not trying to lose their other games. They're doing it, you know. They're doing it to Washington, then yeah. to Oregon. Yeah, and right. and the staff is experienced now. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with Helchin, mm-hmm. he references his twenty-five years, and I realize they haven't all been as a head coach, but he should know a lot by now mm-hmm. as a head coach and, and you know as a coordinator and as an offensive mind. Right. But I, I feel like if you're going to beat Oregon, you're going to need to score about forty. Sure. <laughs> right. If you're going to beat Cal and ASU, you're going to have to have a plan B, mm-hmm. right? You can probably get away with this performance offensively, maybe this weekend with Colorado, UCLA as well, right? Maybe. But Cal and ASU, you're going to need to have a, a plan B, throw a different punch. Right. And, or They're going to have defensive plans. Yeah. They're, and, they're or going to have wrinkles. Or maybe commit to the, to the running game earlier. I mean, that, that's been a constant criticism of mine because I feel like they'll do it. And then the numbers might look shiny or the yards per carry could look nice. But in actuality, like if you're looking at the Washington game or Notre Dame or BYU, right. Right. they started too late. Mm-hmm. Too little, too late. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and it, it just feels like even when they're running the ball well, it still feels like, okay, let's just do this until we can go, go back to the pass. <laughs> right. You know, like, we'll do this for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll start throwing the ball. And I think that's just been sort of a, a consistent thing throughout Clay Helton's tenure at, at USC. I mean, you heard when he first got here, there was a lot of talk about, you know, I'm an offensive lineman's son, yeah. and that's big to me. You know, we're going to do power football and all that sort of stuff. And I, I just... Again, you know, when the chips are down and his job's on the line, Graham Harrell and the air raid. And, yes, he constantly mentions, you know, the running aspect. But this is a pass-first offense, and that's what he's comfortable with. And, again, I get— That's what he always wants to be, right? Like, even when the numbers, like Arizona, I think it shook out where they had more rushing attempts by the end of the game because they're they're winning by a lot, they're running clock. But the way that they're trying to beat you and that they Mm -hmm. want to beat you is through the air. Mm -hmm. And if that's working from the first play of the game, I mean, against Fresno State, they marched up and down, the, uh, you know, yeah. up the field twice. Sure. Two touchdowns. Sure. That, you know. Stanford. That's fine, yes. But when it's not, you need you need to be able to have it. I mean, even if it's like, let's, let's just run for a little while while we figure out what to do, mm-hmm. you know, when we're throwing, but but really dive into the run game there. Uh, it, it Like you said, it, it feels sort of hesitant to yeah. be able to do that. And yeah. if that's you know, a, a lack of faith in the offensive line or just the system or something, it does, it feels like it, it, it right. certainly well, exists. And again, uh, it's not nitpicking because we're not talking about a playoff game. Mm-hmm. I think if you had gotten the ball to Marquis Step and Keenan Christian earlier, like let's say in the BYU game, earlier in that game, I mean, Keenan obviously didn't play at all, mm-hmm. but earlier in that game, if you're running the ball, you're running with those two. 
you win that game. Notre Dame, very winnable, right? And that, that was going to be a hard game, and I get it. And they were very competitive, and they made a great comeback. But they kind of laid an egg offensively for an entire half. Right. It didn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. They, they could have just run the ball more and, and run the ball with Marquise and, and now Keenan. I, yeah. I think it would make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, what you know, Oregon will be – I, like you said, yes, Colorado is next, but I don't, I don't think you're going to learn anything from Colorado that you didn't already know, you know, against Arizona or even the first half. I think you're just going to learn whether they can win on the road at all. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and, and that'll be big. But I think against Oregon, you 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 have to be balanced because Oregon has has the defensive backs to where they yeah. can they can do stuff against you the way Washington. Yeah. And obviously, it's going to be a different quarterback for USC uh, against Oregon than it was against Washington. But yeah, finding that finding that run game where you can kind of dictate pace of play and, and right. the, you know the physicality of a game uh, that it, it's important. Yeah. Okay. Final. Finally, here I've heard different responses from different people. I'm kind of almost surveying it. Do you feel like at this juncture, Clay Helton? Is there even a path for him to retain his job? You know, we, the last time we talked, we sort of said he had to win out. And yeah, that, and that's everything. And he, that's, and he did it. That's from that point. championship game. That's that's bowl game. Yeah, and that, uh, that was what and before, that was before Notre Dame. So so he did it. So I, you know, the, if if we're sticking with that, the answer yeah. is no. I still think if he if he wins out, so you've got you've got a win against Oregon, you've got. You know, the wins at Cal, at Arizona right. State, you're probably beating Oregon twice. In, in, right, so you know, if you win out, you are in the Pac-12 title game. And, and you're probably beating And you're saying Oregon you have to win that one, again. too. Again, it's it's a big if, because I don't think that's going to happen. Right? Sure, I mean, but let, I, mean, I, I just want to know if you even think if, if that happened, if that happened. Because I think people just want to know if yeah, this is going to end or not. I still, like, I still, the, the way, again, I, <laughs> it's, it's so... It, it is frustrating to have to say, you know, the Notre Dame game is a moral victory or didn't, you know, didn't yeah. have the effect that a, a loss would have because it, it was a loss. But I, I still think that it's, it's going to be tough to fire someone. Uh, again, if they're whatever that would be at the end of the season, 11 and three, I think, um, with, again, two wins against Oregon. And well, the, the decision will be win. made before the bowl game, though. If you're gonna do it, you're not gonna do it after the sure, bowl game. Sure, so sure. you would be ten and three. You'd be nine and three in a regular season, right, right. and then you're saying that they win the conference Beating title Oregon game. In the conference championship game. So you're ten and three, and you know that you're going to. You well, know, you're going to the Rose, the Rose Bowl, Bowl. I get. I mean, I I don't know the order of the selection because a couple of years ago they were eligible for the right, Rose Bowl, right, going to right. the Cotton Bowl. It right. could be like that, but so you're, you're going, going to, to a, you're going to a New Year's Six exactly. And you're not going to the Final Four. It's it's tough to make that decision to get rid of him at that point. I will say I still think you can because one and four against Notre Dame, you can say we need to do better against our biggest rival. And I still think that is that path is open to be able to make a change after that kind of success to, to end the season. But four and one versus a really good UCLA. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I do. I think be, the, the, way, the way Oregon looks right now, if you beat them twice, twice, sure, 
with the way things look in terms of injuries and the youth yeah. on the team, right. I, I think those are two pretty big points to say we made changes this offseason and because of the youth, it took a little bit of time. But again, I know USC fans do not want to hear those kinds of excuses. And, and sure. in their mind, the season was set at 3-3. Three and three. When, yeah. when you lose to BYU, oh, yeah. when you can't be Washington, when you have that sort of yeah. showing where... It's clearly it clearly was a beatable Notre Dame team, and you didn't do yeah, it. So yeah. I I'm not ready to say definitively yes or no. I still think there's paths both ways, but the the if on if they win all their games is just a, a gigantic right if right. They could lose this weekend. I, I'm sure. I mean, anybody could lose any weekend. No, it, well, it was, the way they the, the way, way they, they play on the road. Dame, yes, yes. The way they play on the road is always. Cost for it's a thing now. The way they finished against Notre Dame and the way they came out with that sort of you know business like attitude against Arizona and just sort defensively, of, sure, right, defensively, <laughs> and and put them away. Like yeah. you said, it never really felt like after ten nothing, it never felt like Arizona could get no. back into it. I'd be surprised if they sort of laid an egg even on the road uh, against Colorado. I think there's a lot of guys. I think a lot of the backups are are really. Well, yeah, they've they're never played. Up. They're fired up. I think they're ready to go. <laughs> they're ecstatic. I, I only asked a question almost to play devil's advocate. Sure. Because. Well, I took both sides, so how, <laughs> how are you going to do that? No, no. Well, not even, not even to uh, to challenge the notion, but more to think through the the idea that they'd have to beat Oregon again, you know, in the Pac-12 title game. Sure. And then you're playing, you're in the Rose Bowl, and that would be weird. That would be weird to be making a move on him right. if that were to play out that way. However, I'd be very surprised. If I, I, just, I believe that they're already they're already putting out feelers. Uh, they're sure. already preparing sure. to move on him. Sure. Uh, trying to figure out their athletic director, and but and, and that conversation is you know twofold. Right. 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 Not only are we going to hire you, whoever you are, mm-hmm. but here's. What we're thinking, what are you thinking right. about head coach? Right. And in fact, it's certainly if, if part we need of to be the, on the same page. Right. If, if, if said athletic director doesn't, let's say they don't even want Urban Meyer, I feel like that could work against their candidacy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly part of the interview process as yeah. they figure this out. Who are you going to hire? Who do right. you want to hire? Right. Who can you hire? Right. I, I think that I think that's very much in play. Sure. Yeah. But maybe I was premature in saying that he could not keep his job. I, 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 I'm convinced that they won't win out, and that's partly why right. I've so, expressed so you have to go. You have to walk down that path to be ready for it, right? You can't. You can't be blindsided and then yeah. things don't work out, and now you're starting from scratch, yeah. trying to fill two, or, or you know fill one extremely important position yeah. that will have a direct you know effect on another very important position yeah. at USC you you can't you you have to prepare for sort of all yeah. scenarios if you're if you're looking to fill those you would assume that they spot. would you would hope that they would right. i know this is USC and you know assuming anything can get you in trouble uh, it appears to be a new chapter right. but even getting into the Pac-12 title game with another loss, like which could still happen, like I mentioned, if they lost to Oregon sure. and then Washington beat Utah, then sure. USC's going to the Pac-12 title game. I feel like eh, eight and four, and you're playing the Pac-12 title game. In a little yeah, bit. yeah, they're 
that's not going to do it. Right. But if you're nine and three, and then and you you beat Oregon already, and then you beat them again, and you're mm-hmm. ten and three, that's a good year. Yeah. I know that a lot of people. And to are bounce gonna, back from five and seven again, I know. Oh yeah, major. Know, like that's. Yeah. That's the improvement that he needed to to be able to, yeah. to put on paper just in terms of a record and yeah. not in terms of this sort of ethereal, you know, well, we're improving and right. we feel like this is getting better right. and, and that sort of thing. On paper, 10-3 yeah. and three with two wins against that this Oregon team this year in the second half of the season. Yeah. That's, yeah. But it is a good year. It may not be the great year that everyone is right. expecting or wanting or demanding, right. but we can't deny that would be a good year. Mm-hmm. Ten and three. I mean, that's what they did when they won the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. a couple years back with Arnold. Uh, I think because they're already they were already three and three, now four and three. Had they been like eight and two, right, or eight and one, and they ended up ten and three, then it would feel a lot differently. Right. But because they were three and three and they lost to BYU, right. I feel like that buried him. And yeah. that, that's kind of where yeah. I'm coming from as well. Sure. But. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't close the window completely, yeah. but I, I think it's just barely cracked open. I mean, I think he's still... You there's, know, no, there's no margin for error. Right. It's still this sense of, you know, he talked about with Kanaimaga after the game, put your resume on, you know, on tape. Yeah. And, and this will be, I, I think, a job interview the rest of the, the, rest of the season. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to head out to back to practice. But uh, thank you for doing this, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. Always a good time. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Troy Stories podcast. You can check out all of Eric McKinney's work at wearesc.com. And you can find mine at Sports Illustrated. Until next time.